Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. So far for the year, 5990. So uh, it is the uh, eighth day of Sukkah for those of us who began our celebration of Sukkah last Friday um, with a a double um, uh, Shabbat. It was the natural Shabbat on Friday evening and then the Shabbaton of the first day of Sukkah. The uh, seventh day of Sukkah, of course, is a Shabbaton as the eighth day is also a um, a Shabbaton, a, a time to um, a treat uh, like you would the promise of uh, of seven. And so this is a special day. Um, it is a time when we celebrate our relationship with Yah. It's the end of our journey with uh, Yah each year. Uh, this is what Pesach, Matzah, Bakurim, Shabuah, Teruah, Kippurim lead to, is to Sukkah, which means to uh, camp out. In terms of, uh, of the history of uh, the world, uh, we come uh, for full cycle, if you will, from Sukkah to Sukkah, from the Garden of Eden, and ultimately we will return to conditions experienced during Eden. And we're here uh, this evening with Dee, who has been our social media advocate. We've been quiet uh, to tell people this, but prior to a couple of days ago, she was still using dial-up. Uh, she lives in such a primitive part of the state of Florida uh, that, well, uh, alligators uh, comprise 80% of the citizenry. And it wasn't until two days ago that the community was actually uh, available uh, to receive broadband Internet. So she is uh, she's giddy uh, with uh, her newfound uh, Internet uh, prowess. Uh, and yeah. uh, Kirk is in the middle of an art show. Um, he is the lone contributor, though, to the art show, even though he married his uh, his best student uh, at uh, art school. 
uh, his student sells her paintings the day that she uh, completes them. Uh, so, so she had fun <laughs> to sell. So, She's been taught it well. Lucky. It is lucky for Kirk that he was able to stash uh, five or six paintings away and manage to uh, sell them as they're in the middle of an art show in uh, Carmelia, uh, which is the uh, uh, idyllic enclave uh, in Northern California uh, between uh, Monterey, um, uh, or near the Monterey Peninsula, uh, a beautiful uh, place where I understand yesterday uh, it was uh, 80 degrees. As it was. Were, well, our- were scampering for their <laughs> air conditioners. Truly. Truly. Yes. Yep. Indeed. Yep. What, a, what, a, what a lovely place. And just as you and now are preparing for uh, drought with the water police of California, I hear that the reservoirs in California are 130% of uh, normal, uh, which means that moving into the winter season, they have to be dewatered for, <laughs> to anticipate the rain hey, that will come. So that's always a nice thing. Um, Last week, we were fortunate in that uh, with Sukkah being a seven plus one day event into an eighth day, we knew that we could celebrate uh, Sukkah and speak of it um, this uh, time last week and still celebrate Sukkah this evening. So we're going to continue with our uh, Sukkah discussion where we left off last week was on Kara, which means to call out Leviticus. Who knows what that means? Uh, 2338. I think Leviticus, of course, is uh, supposed to be a um, a transliteration of uh, of well it is a transliteration of Levite but there is no word called Levite in the Torah uh, they are the Loi um, and that is because there is no V in um, uh, in the text uh, of uh, the Torah prophets and Psalms the 22 letters there do not have a uh, a V. Uh, and there is no T uh, in, uh, in the name either, nor a C, uh, nor an S for that matter, so it cannot be Leviticus. Uh, uh, and the WA actually makes an O sound. It's uh, L-W-Y are the three letters for Loi. Uh, the Hebrew word means to unite. Um, the book, however, uh, that, uh, that has been renamed Leviticus is actually named Kara. Kara is one of the most important verbs in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. It means to call out, to welcome, to invite, to summon, to read, and to recite, as well as to proclaim and to announce. Uh, And it is in the book of Kara, uh, the heart of the Torah, the the third of five books, that we find the presentation of of the seven Moed Mikre. Kara happens to be the operative term, the verb that defines the meaning of mikre. Uh, mikre is the plural of mikra, uh, and the uh, ma before kara in the title for Yahweh's seven annual uh, meetings means to ponder the implications of kara, being invited and summoned, being welcomed and greeted, uh, of reading and reciting, and of, uh, of being welcomed and meeting uh, with God. So this is where we left off last week. It was uh, Kara uh, 2338. It reads, in addition, these Shabbats, these times of promise, 
to celebrate the relationship uh, as, as part of your involvement uh, in the relationship, even beyond all of your vows and promises because of everything that you have freely decided upon, you should contribute to the benefit of the relationship with Yahweh. So this is God saying that the Shabbat is not a time to do nothing. The Shabbat is a time to celebrate the relationship. And the relationship is with Yahweh, not with Hashem, not with Adonai, uh, but with Yahweh. And it's part of that relationship. And in it, we should understand that we are reciprocating God's offer. He is offering us an invitation to meet, and we are vowing and promising to meet with him on these dates to receive the benefits of the Moed Mikre. And this is based on everything that we have decided upon under, our, under the auspices of free will, knowing that no relationship has any merit unless it is mutually beneficial, so that we both contribute to the benefit of the relationship with Yahweh. Uh, hard to miss the fact that A, the Shabbat is actionable, and B, that these days that we celebrate the relationship are focused on Yahweh, since his name was included in this brief statement twice. Indeed, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have harvested your yield of the land, you should celebrate, which is Chag'og, the festival feast, Eth Chag, of Yahweh for seven days. Therefore, Sukkah is not a Jewish holiday. Sukkah is Yahweh's. It is an in-gathering, a time to be part of, of Yahweh's family, to be harvested by Almighty God. It is a festival feast. It is a time to celebrate the relationship. And, of course, it begins on the 15th of the seventh month. With the first and foremost day, Yahweh says, there shall be a Shabbaton to consider everything associated with the promise and purpose of the Shabbat, and on the eighth uh, Shabbaton. So there are two Shabbatons associated with the Mikra of uh, Sukkah, the first day and the eighth day, and this particular festival feast begins on the 15th day of the seventh month. It is the final um, of Yahweh's annual invitations to meet with him. And it is the final because it is the destination. In the typical fashion of Yahweh, six plus one equals seven. There are six steps to God with the seventh being the opportunity to camp out with him. So the 15th day of the seventh month is a time of renewal. And it will always be brightened by a full moon because each month begins with the renewal of the light on the moon's surface. And it uh, is uh, uh, the annual cycle is such that the 15th day, or uh, the lunar cycle is such that the 15th day is always a full moon. So it's a time to camp out 
under the light of that moon and a canopy of stars. Sukkah is associated with an end gathering or a harvest because God's children uh, are reaped from the weeds of the world. It is an opportunity for prolonged growth, free of pollution and impediments, and we are celebrating our collective contributions to the covenant. I interrupted something you wanted to say, Dee? I was just saying how beautiful that is. It is wonderful that God's idea of perfection is camping out with his children. uh, I think every parent recognizes that it's one of the great opportunities, particularly when our children are are little, um, that the whole notion of camping out with them is such a treasure. So Sukkot is uh, associated with an in-gathering. It's a harvest, uh, and that is important, and it is the ultimate celebration of what I would call a staycation um, with family. Uh, We can camp out in our own homes. We can camp out uh, wherever we'd like, but we're camping out with the owner and architect architect of this grand estate that we call planet Mm -hmm. Earth. Uh, Checkout time will not be for another thousand years, so you have plenty of time to enjoy the uh, elements and to get very comfortable. Uh, and then even then, we're moving to a magnificent resort well beyond the stars. As our Heavenly Father continues to share, recognize that everything in the following list is symbolic. Each is considerable, uh, or each is of considerable value to us spiritually when we become cognizant of the root meaning of the chosen terminology. It uh, reads, and this is from... Kara Leviticus 2340. Even painful to say Leviticus. Kara 2340. <laughs> then on your behalf, you should accept and grasp hold of, during the first and foremost day, the fruit of the tree with respect uh, for the glorious and honored open hand to be erect along with the branch, promoting growth and providing shelter, a pledge to exchange the dried up and lifeless for an inheritance. So then you can delight in this, expressing your elation, approaching the presence of Yahweh, your God, for seven days. That's pretty amazing how uh, Judaism has turned this into a money-making scheme. But from God's point of view, it was all very uh, symbolic. Uh, Basically, the opportunity is, we grasp hold of his hand. Uh, We have the opportunity uh, when we do that to be very productive uh, in his family. Uh, Yahweh's open hand is available because of what he did through the branch. The branch is the Zeroah, the the, uh, Messiah, the, the very son of God. And through the, the vow and fulfilling the vow, that Dode as the branch made, we not only uh, gain eternal life, but we receive uh, an inheritance. And this inheritance is uh, equivalent to being God's children, a royalty, if you will. So we can delight in this, expressing our elation, approaching the presence of Yahweh for seven days. Now, if the first day is a Shabbaton, then the very fact that we are celebrating uh, this 
festival feast, tells us that the Shabbat cannot be a day to celebrate doing nothing. Right. Should be pretty obvious from that point of view. Now, determine whether it is Yahweh's preference that we gather up some twigs on the Shabbat, which would be in conflict with the Torah, or we accept the fruit of the tree of lives, which, while grasping hold of the branch, which is doed from his hand, so that we might grow, exchanging that which is lifeless for an inheritance, let's examine God's linguistic palate. We begin with Lakash which means to accept and to grasp hold of. Scribed in the call perfect, it is something that we should actually do while celebrating the initial Shabbaton of Sukkah. Therefore, it really cannot speak of picking up sticks, can it? Isn't there an instruction in the Torah that says, you know, pick up sticks on the Shabbat and you're as good as dead? So clearly... This is symbolic language. Right. But I guess there's no money in uh, symbolism, so the rabbis must have the, uh, the multiple species. So, by the way, the rabbis actually sell a collection of sticks for this purpose. Yep, they, they call them the four species of Sukkot. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, according to the Jewish Museum, and I quote, Rabbis guarantee a high quality and kosher set of Sukkot plants, which is very important. But since it's hard to swindle the faithful, I'm adding this part, uh, <laughs> with, a palm, <laughs> with a single palm pond, a uh, myrtle bow, and a willow branch, the rabbinical recipe now includes the especially ugly and rare and very expensive etrog. Now, apart from the money derived from associating it with sukkah, which is up to $1,000 for a quality specimen, the etrog is hideous in appearance, serving as the perfect <laughs> specimen of the religion. Unlike Yahweh's symbols, the etrog, which, by the way, he does not mention, is uh, not from Israel. No, no. Instead, it originates in eastern India and southern China. It was especially prominent along the riverbanks of Babylon, where it was first seen by Jews who were weeping at the time for Tammuz. It migrated from there to the gardens of nobility in Rome and Pompeii which is the reason why rabbis coveted it. Even the name is of Persian and thus Babylonian origin. But it gets worse. According to the rabbis, the lavav, which is the palm frond, has taste but no smell, symbolizing those who study the Torah but do not possess good deeds. The hadassus is a myrtle bow, and it has good smell but no taste, symbolizing those who possess good deeds but do not study the Torah, which, by the way, they actually mean Talmud. The Ariah willow branch has neither taste nor smell, representing those who lack both the rabbinic oral Torah and good deeds. The Etrog, sour, acidic, greenish-yellow, absurdly thick-rind, bumpy, and wrinkled fruit, 
filled with an excessive amount of inedible seeds has both good taste and good smell, symbolizing those who have both the Torah and good deeds. <laughs> such, oh, such is the essence of Judaism. <laughs> Imagine some rabbi actually believing this, telling his people this, making a buck out of it, and holding up this hideous fruit, and the little uh, uh, grouping of... <laughs> Of four species. Four species for sale. Uh, moreover, this ugly sour fruit is said to represent the very heart of religious Jews. Now, out of the idiocy of Judaism and back into the Torah, we're reminded that God wants to be surrounded uh, with happy people. Huh, I guess that would eliminate those wearing the morning suits uh, who have a mm. positive attitude. Having fun together is the entire point of a family relationship, the very reason we exist. The invitations to be called out and meet with God of shelters, therefore, foretells of a time on earth during the millennial Shabbat and eternity in heaven beyond, in which we will rejoice and be glad, celebrate the presence of Yahweh. It will be a very pleasurable experience and joyous party, a time of great happiness, when all who say Yahweh's name, of course, will be besmirched by the rabbis, who fortunately will not be there. You should celebrate it, God said, as a festival feast, as a chog, in association with he whose name shall never be spoken, Yahweh. No. <laughs> for seven days during the year. It is a clearly communicated, engraved prescription of what you should do to live a chuka. Olam, eternally, throughout your generations, you should actually and consistently celebrate it in the seventh month. Once again, we have absolute proof that there is no four species, that there is no etrog, that there's no way for a rabbi to make a buck, and it is simply a day to celebrate, actually a week to celebrate, our relationship with Yahweh, the God whose name has been written out of Judaism. It is a wonderful invitation. Yahweh is throwing a party, and it's in our honor to commemorate the covenant family relation which we are part. He is presenting us with an engraved invitation, explaining what we should do to get the most out of these festivities. Even the parting gift is amazing because God is offering the universe to us as his heirs. Yahweh's plan is for mankind uh, is always based on six being the number of man who is created on the sixth day, plus one being the number of God who is one, equating to perfection of man and God together. And Sukkah, as the seventh and final phase of God's plan, represents perfection from our Heavenly Father. Therefore, we are camping out together to celebrate what he values most, which is family. The prophetic fulfillment of the invitation to be called out and meet of Sukkah shelters began at the close of the sixth millennium of human history, which is just 10 years from now, and is enjoyed throughout the seventh 
Salvation is therefore a seven-step process played out over 7,000 years, beginning with Passover and ending with shelters. Each step along the path filled at the appropriate time and on the appropriate day, all with the Son of God, the Messiah, Masiach, and Zeroah, contributing and benefiting. The eighth day is then added because the conclusion of the Millennial Shabbat is not the end of time, of our lives, or of us camping out with our Heavenly Father. Beginning with the eighth day, Yahweh will create a new universe in our presence, a perfect one in which we get to enjoy and explore forever. It is a new beginning. It is the never-ending conclusion to this, the greatest story ever told. Yes. As we move towards the conclusion of the 23rd chapter of Kara, we read, Within the shelters, you should live for seven days. All of the native born within Yisrael should actually and consistently dwell in the sheltered tents so that your future generations know that indeed I, this is God speaking, lived within a covered shelter within, with the children of Israel when I myself brought them out of the land of the crucibles of religious and political oppression. I am Yahweh, your God. Isn't that interesting? It's God's not saying you should do this because, well, you lived in tents. He's saying you should do this because I lived in a tent with you. Mm -hmm. That's the most amazing part. Yahweh took them from being slaves in Mitzrayim with genocide being perpetrated on them uh, and, and most horrible of all circumstances of 80 years of the enslavement of an entire population of people. He freed them from that and crossed the the wilderness and took them into the promised land where he clothed them and he fed them and he nourished them and he gave them his Torah, reminded them of his covenant. But the thing that God wants them to understand the most is that during that time, God himself lived in a tent with his people. That speaks volumes. That is the reason that religion is so upside down. You know, God is not saying, I lived on a giant throne. If we're in Islam, sitting on top of the giant fish on the top of the giant uh, cloud uh, above the uh, giant sea where the pen was. No, God's not saying I was lorded over you. He didn't say I I looked down at you from heaven. So no, I was right there with you. I lived with you. This is a reminder that you can tell future generations that the creator God of the universe lived in a tent with us. That's what Sukkah is all about. God camped out with us. What a legacy. 
because of the uh, of the proclamations made of the uh, the Chodor in and uh, Yashaya chapter eleven, where you, the spirit of Yahweh uh, is uh, empowering and uh, enabling the uh, the Chodor, uh, we live uh, every day in exactly this situation. Although uh, God's not in a uh, a tent here, unless you consider the fragility of our physical bodies to be a, uh, a temporary home. And it's a mm-hmm. nice metaphor, so it probably works as, uh, as well. Uh, but that is the beauty of all of this. This is the distinction between the God of religion and the actual God. The actual God didn't say, because I want you to worship me. He didn't say, because I want you to bow down to me. He didn't say, because I wanted you to lift me up in praise. No, he didn't say because I want you to remember uh, the religion of mine. No. What he says is, I want you to remember that I chose to live and to camp out with you. If God did this when his people were genuinely ignorant, cantankerous, Mm -hmm. rebellious, embittered, antagonistic, in the midst of the most God-forsaken place on earth in the deserts of Western Arabia and of the, uh, the Sinai. Mm-hmm. If he did this with them then as they were, can you imagine how much he's looking forward to camping out with his covenant family in a earth that is restored to the conditions of Gan Eden? No bickering, no religion, no idols. No. Yeah, this is what he's saying. If he, this is what he chose to do then, considering these circumstances. Can you imagine what he is looking forward to in the celebration of Sukkah when he returns with his son and a hundred percent of those who survive the event will be uh, his sons and daughters who have chosen to be part of his family. Well, it's really a marvelous thing to uh, to look forward to. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. But that is indeed what he is offering. But the first step to all of this, because it is mentioned everywhere, is God says, "I am Yahweh, your God." If you do not know his name, if you do not love his name, if you do not proclaim his name, you do not know him, and he does not know you. Now, according to Yahweh, the reason we sukkah is to remember that he lived in a sukkah among his people. God camped out with us so that we could live together with him. And during that process, Yahweh Yatsa liberated his children from Mitzrayim, the religious and political oppressors of Egypt. He will repeat this process when he returns, albeit this time. He will be removing the Mitzrayim and the Babel from his people. The conclusion of the 23rd chapter reads, So then Moshe, which means the one who draws out, declared the word regarding Yahweh's, eternal witness to the appointments. 
to the children of Israel. Moed. Um, anything with an ed means eternal witness, um, restoring testimony. Uh, the mah before it, again, means to ponder the implications of. Moed is the eternal witness to the restoring testimony and the very important appointments that God has scheduled for uh, us and for his family. So once we turn the page on Sukkah, there is still a lot more to learn. In his very next line, Yahweh addresses the, his tabernacle, the Sukkah of the Yatza. So I think we're going to linger here in Kara uh, a while longer and come to a more fully appreciate what it means to camp out with God, because this is what he is offering. If this appeals to you, you should accept the terms and conditions of the covenant and answer his invitations to meet with him during these seven annual events. So immediately after presenting his Moed Mekre, all seven of them, concluding with Sukkah, Yahweh introduces a connection between these seven celebrations of the relationship and his menorah. With its seven luminaries, there is one for every one of the seven meetings, each illuminated by olive oil. For those who have spent some time at the Yada Yah site, uh, you'll notice that the homepage of the site has a beautiful animation of, uh, of a turning uh, menorah. And as each candle lights of that menorah, you'll see what it represents both in color uh, as uh, we go through the colors of the rainbow, which is symbolic uh, of the covenant, uh, mm -hmm. and also what it represents in terms of each of the seven Moed Mikre. It was a, uh, a animation that Jackie, our, uh, our beloved Jackie, uh, both publicist and editor for Yada Yawa, uh, and a den mother of uh, the, uh, the clan of, uh, of covenant members, uh, <laughs> arranged. And it is a, it's a beautiful thing that actually uh, shows you a, a, a starlit background that uh, becomes brighter and ultimately focuses on the, uh, the land of, uh, of Yisrael. Then Yahweh spoke to Moshe. This is Kara 24.1. Instruct Sarah, the children of Yisrael, so that they obtain for, your, for you pure and clear uh, olive oil, which is beaten out by crushing, for the luminary to be lifted up as a continuous and enduring lamp. So this is Yahweh's version, if you will, of the eternal flame. But there's a lot more to the metaphor. Pure, clean, clear, and flawless olive oil is the symbol of the set-apart spirit and of light representing Yahweh. There is more even than this because the lamp uh, provides guidance and enlightenment. And even beyond this, Yahweh's tangible metaphor uh, is continuous and enduring, as is the nature of light. God will advance the story of this luminary, and he's going to define its purpose by telling us where it goes and how it is to be considered. 
olives like grapes and grain, uh, the three um, metaphors that Yahweh likes most uh, in terms of agricultural metaphors, olives, grapes, and grain, must all be crushed to be useful. Olives uh, are pressed into olive oil. Grapes are crushed to make wine. And grain is, uh, is ground to make bread. Likewise, so are the challenges we overcome in life that forge our character. As is the case with sukkah, it is not until after enduring the crushing hardships of the time of Jacob's troubles that Yisrael, crushed and a bit bruised, becomes salvageable. The olive oil in this lamp represents, as I've mentioned, the Ruach Kodesh, the set-apart spirit. The olive tree is deeply rooted in the land and is very long-lived. The oil is nutritious and serves as a healing ointment. Olive oil is used for anointing, and it provides perfectly brilliant illumination. I always think that Yahweh cheats when he comes up with his metaphors. They are uh, uh, almost always perfect, but then, you know, he designed... <laughs> life and the planet and this language and everything else so it's that's why tongue-in-cheek saying okay you can make your metaphors perfect if you created them so as as the olive oil is ignited illuminating the home we see the flame uh, reaching upward consistent with the symbolism approaching the feminine manifestation of god's fiery light during the uh mikra particularly Matzah, Shabuah, Kippurim, and Sukkah, those so enlightened will Allah rise up to God. Moreover, when we capitalize on each of Yahweh's seven invitations to be called out and meet, our stay in Shamaim as Zak Maor, perfected luminaries, will Tamid be continuous and enduring. From outside the curtain, God said, of the witness of the tent and tabernacle, of the eternal witness to the appointments and restoring testimony, Aaron shall attend to it and arrange it, placing from sundown to sunrise in the presence of Yahweh, continuously and without interruption. It is an everlasting prescription of what you should do throughout your households and generations. Now, God um, very seldom shares something that uh, is um, constrained in time. So an instruction, for example, this is something Aaron should do. Aaron was uh, Moshe's brother, uh, and mm-hmm. he attended to the things that would take place inside of the, uh, the tabernacle. He was actually a stand-in for what Dode, as the Masayak, will do on Kippurim. And so when God speaks of something like that, you would say, well, why even bother to write this down if it only pertains to Aaron, who passed away 3,450 years ago? And God explains that what I'm telling him to do is something that you should attend to and arrange during this period from sundown to sunrise in the presence of Yahweh forever. It is an everlasting prescription 
of what you should do right. in your households and generations. We can look at the um, the curtain that is of the uh, tent of the witness and the testimony, the uh, eduth, and we can say, well, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. There's not even a a temple anymore. So the instructions regarding the tent and tabernacle of the eternal witness, the boed, is no longer germane to our lives. In fact, to a large extent, Judaism exists to recreate their variation of their relationship with G-D-Hashem without um, the temple, without the tabernacle. So all of it becomes um, a very different kind of relationship. And so that is one way that you can deal with the fact that this instruction cannot literally be um, implemented because there is no temple, there is no tabernacle. That's one option. I think it is the dumb option. And, and I say that the, for the same reason that I translated the previous statement about uh, the branch and about being uh, fruitful, recognizing that God's not talking about picking up sticks on the Shabbat. He is, in fact, talking about uh, how we go about receiving our inheritance and we become fruitful. So that is the preferred way not only to interpret that message, one that is resonates with us throughout time but the very fact that god knew and spoke of the destruction of his tabernacle and uh, and temple and he said this is a continuous uh prescription for living for all time forevermore means that he specifically wants us to interpret it the same way so we should have this menorah, this lampstand in our homes. If you want your home to be a place where Yahweh resides, where you get to camp, camp out with Yahweh, you should do as we have done. The, the featured accoutrement to our living room is a beautiful menorah. Same. Sitting, Same right, here. sitting right beside, by the way, a six-foot shofar, uh, which my wife, as a Jewish, can actually blow, and uh, and I'm a spastic uh, when it comes to. But we have a menorah for this very purpose, uh, and that's the easiest way. That's the most beneficial way. That's the natural way, the appropriate way, to celebrate this instruction, rather than create a religion that does away with all of these things incorporate all of them through understanding the same way we should celebrate each of the Moed Mikre. And God gives us no choice but to draw this kind of interpretation by the very language that he used. So we made as a family the connection between the menorah and the Moed uh, quite some time ago. The, whole reason that Jackie was inspired to create the animation at the yadayah.com site uh, on the homepage is because of this revelation. I think it's probably five, six, seven years that we 
we have uh, developed this, and I know uh, Dee, you and my wife Leah, uh, also ran with it. Um, I, I began some years ago to add the colors of the rainbow, since it's the sign of the covenant, uh, to it, and and it actually becomes a, a comprehensive story about our relationship with Yahweh when it is uh, seen um, not only in connection with the Moed, which is how God is introducing it here. I mean, he is absolutely saying it is part of my Moed. Uh, it is part of my home. It's part of, of me living with you. So um, uh, this connection uh, with the Moed was made while considering the role of the two olive trees on either side of Yahweh's luminary as they were introduced in the fourth chapter of Zachariah, where there is a very vivid description of what Yahweh is achieving with his menorah and with his witness, the ones enlightening his people. And what may have appeared to have been conjecture by some, as they would have uh, read through our first analysis of the menorah, is clearly confirmed. The menorah is the light of the moed, of the eternal witnesses to the restoring, restoring testimony and to the seven annual meetings with Yahweh. Well, we are not explicitly told. The most reasoned conclusion is that the three spring mikre, Pesach, Matzah, and Bekorah, lead to Shavuah. And the three fall mikre, Teruah, Kapuram, and Sukkah, mm-hmm. flow from it. With that being the case, Shavuah is in the middle. Shavuah means to be enriched and empowered, to be enlightened and to be emancipated by God. And that happens to those who are immortal through Pesach, perfected by Dod removing our guilt and taking it into Sheol on Matzah, and adopted as firstborn children into God's covenant family on Bukurim. And then as we are enriched and empowered and enlightened and emancipated, we can, we have the uh, capability of fulfilling Teruah, which is where we herald Dode and Yahweh's story uh, about the fulfillment of these dates and, and what it all means to our relationship with God so that Kaporam is a wonderful celebration of family. It is a family reunion where Yahweh reconciles his relationship with Israel in advance of camping out with his family forevermore during Sukkah as the conditions of earth return to the nature of the Garden of Eden. So this would place Shabuah in the middle, representing the center light, which is appropriate since this is the day the set-apart spirit enlightens, enriches, and empowers the covenant's children. Now, as for Aaron, he had been a very bad boy. So he would be restricted to the other side of the veil. He would need a special dispensation to approach the Ark of the Covenant. 
God did not take kindly to the golden calf affair. Nonetheless, Aaron is representative of enlightened free will. Moreover, he is presented as the alternative to Moshe. The name actually means alternative. In yeah. the beginning, he was asked to speak what, whenever Moshe got tongue-tied. In the mm-hmm. end, his role was that of a priest. As such, his name reveals that he was the bringer of light and choice. The OL of Sukkah uh, both provide a covering and a protection from the elements, and both serve as homes. Similarly, Eduth and Moed address the same idea. Ha-Eduth is an attestation of the testimony and the enduring accounting of a witness, differentiated from Moed by the realization that God is intent to be Ud, repetitive regarding his reconciling revelations. The Moed convey the eternal testimony and restoring witness of Yahweh. Now there is an interesting uh, analysis that can be made if you return back to Zechariah, uh, Zechariah, remember Yah, where we learned uh, the, the full nature and symbolism of the menorah as it's presented um, in the story regarding the two witnesses. Um, that in that same book, there is, as, as you move to the next chapter, there's this whole presentation of uh, Yosha being a, uh, a really, really stinky dude. Um, he was the high priest, and he was filthy from Yahweh's point of view. So uh, uh, there was this argument and, and, and Shamaim with, you know, what do we do about this? Satan is saying, you know, he's done. I mean, it's, uh, it's useless now for you to go on. Uh, Satan's ultimate dream is that the reunion of Sukkah is canceled. If, uh, if there is no one at the homecoming of Yom Kippurim for God to return to, uh, which if it occurred uh, 10, 15 years ago, there would have been a single Jew, not one. Yeah. And there are only Jews now beginning to wake up as a remnant of Israel and anticipating Yahweh's return with Dod because of what we have done these past 22 years. And that number will grow until uh, it reaches uh, thousands. Uh, right. So Satan wants there to be none. He's going to lose this uh, battle, but he wants there to be none, so there's no reason for God to return. If God does not return, then uh, uh, that's the best he can possibly do. Uh, and it is our job to make certain that the family reunion is spectacular. So when you look at what's going to happen, uh, for, for Yom Kippurim to be properly fulfilled, Dode has to take the ro- role of Aaron. He's the one that's got to go in and anoint the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and that's the only way that Yisrael can be consistent with God's Torah instructions and reconciled in the relationship. And so Zechariah tells us this whole story of the redressing of the high priest, and then we're told about the garments that Dode himself will wear, so that we see 
Dode fulfilling the role that was established here by Aaron. It's one of the more insightful um, introductions to Dode fulfilling the Moed Mikre. And it's an exciting to see that God will get right into the detail and it's going to have his son, Dode, anoint this mercy seat. And it's interesting that when Yahweh said, you know, uh, Dode, you're not going to build uh, this first uh, house of mine. And it was, it was a big deal to God because he wanted to make very, very clear, well, my job is to build a house for my son. I'm building a house for my son. His throne's going to reside there forever. My job as dad is to take care of my son. My son, however, wants to build a house for me. And so that's just not going to happen. And so God was pressed to give a reason. And the reason he gave is because you've got blood on your hands. What does Aaron have to do to anoint the mercy seat, the kaporeth of the Ark of the Covenant, so that Yisrael's relationship with Yahweh can be reconciled? Sprinkle blood on his hands. Right. Right from his fingers. So the whole thing points to this very moment. And that's why uh, in this midst of this presentation, Aaron is brought in because he is a stand-in for that branch that we read uh, just a few moments ago uh, that represents Dode and the role that God's son is going to play on uh, this day. And as we then move from uh, from Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations, into the day of camping out into Sukkah, uh, guess who is king of Sukkah uh, forevermore? That uh, same uh, fellow by the name of Dode. So with Yahweh, there would always be light. So long as they listened to God as they and they did as he requested, his luminary would shine through the darkness, even in the most troubling times. Unfortunately for Israel, this was short-lived, uh, although it will return and be forevermore. So this depiction of the menorah, uh, its characteristics, matches the set-apart spirit's attributes. This is why it is being placed adjacent to Yahweh's presence. Kara 24.4 reads, Upon the purifying and perfecting the tahor, the cleansing and flawless menorah, lampstand and luminary, he will arrange and place the lamps such that they are continually before the presence of Yahweh. Now, it's going to be really hard to understand the connection between the seven lamps, uh, lights of that menorah and the seven Moed Mikre and the eternal witness and restoring testimony of Yahweh if your God-forsaken menorah has nine candles. And how many candles are there in the rabbinical menorah? Nine. Nine. Yeah, yeah. seven wasn't good enough for that. They had nine. And it's all because of a mythical event from an uninspired book that uh, is uh, testimony to one of many Jewish civil wars, Maccabees, yep. which chronicles a civil war between Jews fighting one another for supremacy. It's been romanticized to, uh, to uh, write the rabbis in and the priests out uh, 
and the Grecian influence out and uh, the Talmud in. It is uh, a fairy tale. Now, the reason that uh, we have expanded the associations between the Moed and Yahweh's tabernacle, between the menorah and the Moed, and now to the menorah and to Yahweh's presence, is this six plus one configuration of the menorah, uh, which is detailed in Shemoth 25, uh, 31 through 40, uh, has um, a presence that resonates with these annual events. It reads, you shall make a purifying and cleansing menorah from gold, artistically crafted. The menorah should be made with her base and sides, her stems and branches, her ornamental buds, and her flowers as part of it. Now, each time we read Dahor, purifying and cleansing with the menorah, we should see the Ruach Kodesh because she perfects us, she enlightens us and protects us. Even her garment of light is makasha, uh, artistically crafted and elegantly uh, decorated. Moreover, this is why Yahweh chose the name Menorah, which is the feminine representation of Manor, luminary. So Menorah mm-hmm. is the feminine presentation of Manor because it represents Yahweh's set-apart spirit, and she is the maternal um, uh, presence of God in our lives. This association with our spiritual mother would be better known if translators did not ignore the seven feminine references contained within this particular instruction. Further, when we are reborn spiritually, we are made in her image. In the covenant, we branch out, bud, and blossom. Consistent with this message, Parak, translated as flowers, also means to rise up and to fly. It is from Perkach, meaning to gather the offspring who share a common nature. Our Heavenly Father is speaking of his family, of being able to fly like spiritual beings. Vocalized differently, Parak means to sprout, to flourish, and to bear fruit, and especially to grow. In our eternal nature, we gain dimensions and energy, becoming ever more like God. The seven luminaries on the menorah represent Pesach, Matzah Bakorim, Shabuah, Teruah, Kaporim, and Sukkah. And indeed, the seven lamps serve as a sign of the covenant, with a light for each of the seven colors of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Moreover, since the menorah also represents the Ruach Kadesh, we are reminded of the seven spirits that Yahweh provided for his choder, the secondary mm-hmm. branch, the sucker from the fallen stump. Remember, those were the Ruach of Yahweh, who is obviously in the center, orchestrating and illuminating the relationship. The Ruach of Chakma, 
of mental aptitude. The Ruach of Bina, of understanding by making connections. The Ruach of Etzah, of offering advice. The Ruach of Gaborah, of confidence and boldness. The Ruach of Da'ath, of knowing. And the Ruach of Ira, appreciation. Pretty good, huh? So in the center of that menorah is the Ruach of Yahweh, such that the Ruach of mental aptitude and the Ruach of understanding and the Ruach of offering advice causes the Gaborah, which is the feminine of Gabor, which is who Dode mm-hmm. is, to be confident in the knowledge and appreciation of God. He has the mental aptitude to understand prior to offering advice, the confidence in knowing what he is reading and learning and sharing will encourage the very appreciation of Yahweh. Now, the opening verb in God's next statement is one of the most unappreciated in the Torah. It's Yatza. It means to be removed and withdrawn, to come out and to leave, to be brought out and come forth. It is the operative verb of the Exodus. And of the Exodus, there's more than one. Ten years from now, there is an exodus from the three Babels, geographic, religious, and political Babel. It is likewise essential to the Moed Mikre and to the Bereth because we are ca- called to come out of Mitzrayim, religion and political oppression, and Babel, that which is confusing and confounding before heading home. And six branches shall come out from her sides, three stems of the menorah from one of her sides and three branches of the menorah from the other side. Pesach, Matzah, Pekorim, Teruah, Koporim, and Sukkah with Shabuah in the middle. When you even consider the colors of the, rain, of the rainbow, what color is in the middle? Green. Roy G. Biv. Green. green. Mm-hmm. What's the color of growth, of life? Yeah, green, of course. Green. When it comes to his pattern, and by the way, if you look at those warm uh, colors of the relationship, uh, growing and the warmth of red and uh, and yellow uh, uh, speak of that fire that burns that helps transform uh, organic and decaying uh, material into spiritual energy, uh, giving us the opportunity to grow. All of the colors of the fall feast are colors of the sky and of the heavens which is where the Moed Mikre take us. When it comes to his pattern of six plus one, it's consistent. Everything meaningful is based on it. 
it's the key that unlocks the secrets hidden within Yahweh's plan of reconciliation, as well as his redemptive timeline. You know, I was um, dealing with the uh, the Choder chapter, uh, Yeshua 11, uh, a couple days ago as I was editing, um, I guess it's volume four, either three or four of observations. It's uh, been doing this so long now on this uh, edit pass, it's hard to remember where where it was that I was dating with the choder, but uh, it's either three or four. <laughs> uh, and I just finished uh, Observations uh, Volume 4 today. I've started Observations Volume 5, which means that in this edit pass, all I have to do now is finish Volume 5 and, and then move through the four volumes of Questioning Paul. Uh, and then we're going to put Prophet of Doom and Tea with Terrace and in the company on the shelf. So uh, they have been prepared for an edit pass as well. Uh, so we're getting what? near the uh, the end of, uh, of this comprehensive review. And that's pretty exciting because we began it, I, I think it was January of this year, and there's 30 volumes. Yeah. So, so the team and <laughs> I have, uh, have burnt some... Uh, uh, some late night oil. hours, yeah, late night oil uh, here trying to prepare for uh, uh, for all of this. Um, but when I was doing that, one of the, I, I just said, okay, um, as it relates to what these seven spirits did for the Choder, let me just go through some of the things that are contained in these books that have not been presented, thought about, discussed, published spoken in two to three thousand years some of them speak directly to what we're talking about here yeah. we're the first to be able to date all of Yahweh's fulfillments of the moed when the first four occurred to the exact day sometimes right to the minutes and to the hour and we're the only ones who have been able to explain when Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah will occur, followed by Sukkah. No one else has been able to do that. No one else has explained what each of those seven days represent in terms of our relationship with Yahweh. No one has explained how the benefits of the covenant are derived from the fulfillment of the first four Mikrei. No one has actually gone into the conditions of the covenant as Yahweh has his discussions with Abraham and say that what he is saying here is that there's five conditions and they lead to five benefits. But let's tie these two things together, the covenant and the Moed. There are so many things and they begin with we were the first to publish an account on how to properly pronounce Yahweh's name. And it all begins there. Can you imagine? For 3,000 years, you could not read any place where somebody was writing about the proper pronunciation of Yahweh's name and why it's important. I think, yeah. So there's so much that's here that is nowhere else. And much of it is even here as we discuss what the menorah represents. You know, Yahweh has described these six luminaries representing humankind in this equation 
but has not so much mentioned his own luminary in the center of the menorah. This perspective is one of many ways Yahweh is distinguished from the plethora of gods that men have made. It's the very statement that we read when we began the program. He wants us to celebrate that he came to live with us and stayed in a tent. There are three cups in the shape of almond flowers with each branch. Each one, there is an ornamental bud, a capital on the top of a column, along with a blossom. Then there are three cups in the shape of almond flowers for each branch. One on each one, there is an ornamental bud, a capital on the top of the column, along with the blossom. Therefore, six branches shall come from the menorah. God's very clear on his design. The almond is the first tree to flower in Israel, heralding the approach of the new year. The blossom is pure white, symbolic of the menorah's light. The protective calices around the unopened buds are often red, symbolic of Passover. An almond is not actually a nut, but rather a, uh, a droop. But unlike its cousins, the peach, the plum, and the cherry, we actually eat the seed. And seed is one of the most endearing terms in Yahweh's metaphorical toolbox. Uh, it actually represents the zeroa, the very seed uh, of the words that were planted and harvested by Dod as he chose to fulfill the Moed Mikre. Also, since the most varieties of almonds are self-incompatible and cannot pollinate themselves, at least two trees are needed if they are to bear fruit, as in the case with a relationship and in the case with the two witnesses that are symbolized yeah. by this menorah. Uh Wow. Almonds grown in Israel are larger, they're tastier, and contain more vitamins than those grown elsewhere. Of course, we should have assumed that. They provide calcium, <laughs> protein, vitamins um, E and B, magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, zinc, manganese, natural fibers, antioxidants, and uh, cholesterol-lowering monosaturated fat. As for the petals, between... 1 and 21% of almonds have six per blossom, while the most prevalent flowers feature five. Speaking of numbers, we have one representing Yahweh in the center. There are two sides of the menorah to depict the spring and fall feasts. Each side features three luminaries because there are three moed, moedim in the first and seventh months. There are six subordinate lights representing the number of man, and then, of course, the menorah is comprised of seven overall lamps, which are symbolic of the Moed, the Ruach, and the Covenant, and that is indicative of Yahweh's overall plan. The only relevant number 
not yet mentioned is four, and it serves as the primary interval of time between the Torah's most re relevant events. So, and on the menorah, there shall be four cups in the shape of the almond flowers, an ornamental bud along with a blossom. Should you be wondered why Yahweh is providing this itemization of the Gibeah cups, these containers housing enlightening oil, olive oil, which provide direction for our lives, the answer is that there are 22 of them. Of course. Yeah, how many uh, letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet that have brought us the Torah? 22. 22. 22 of them. And speaking of, uh, of five being an unusual number among the four and six plus one equals seven, how many vowels are there? Five of them. Yeah, five of them. Yep. God provides many more details regarding the construction and placement of his menorah, this gift of light. With each additional fact, he illuminates uh, insights into his spirit the bereth covenant, and the mikre invitations to meet. Yahweh loves tangible symbols because they reinforce aspects of his message and facilitate understanding. Now, moving from the light of the olive through the seven luminaries to the 12 loaves of grain, we read, and you should obtain finely ground flour stripped of impurities, and then bake it with 12 loaves, one, each one of the loaves existing to be restored and enriched. How many tribes were there of Yisrael? Yeah. 12. And uh, what is the purpose of, uh, of the fall feast of Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah? It is to restore that relationship so that the children of Yisrael can be enriched after, of course, they are stripped of impurities. Hmm. These loaves are not only symbolic of the 12 tribes of Yisrael, they're also comprised of emblematic terminology. So let grain stripped of impurities is representative of a soul who has capitalized upon Pesach and Matzah. Shanaim and uh, Asara speak of our lives being transformed and enriched during Bukhoram and Shavuot. The Keloth intercede on behalf of and implore the diseased and wounded of Teruah so that they are prepared for Kippurim. Even the whole of Yahweh's Haya will come to be Sham, uh, Shanaim restored and Isharon improved tenfold when Sukkah arrives. Saying the same thing, albeit with less metaphorical verbiage, we read, then you should place them in two ordin uh, orderly rows, six in each row on the table, of purification and restoration, taror, to approach the presence of Yahweh, and offer upon this arrangement the purest frankincense. It should be held next to the bread as a way to remember 
the feminine influence of the fiery light which enlightens and elevates Isha to draw near Yahweh. Kara mm-hmm. 24, 6 and 7. Now, if you read God's testimony with an open mind and you make the connections needed to understand, these things are naturally um, concluded. Uh, it is just a process from going, this is what God says, this is what he's trying to achieve, and you make the connections and you can see what the 12 loaves represent, why uh, God wants us uh, to approach the presence of his fiery light, the feminine nature of his light during these meetings, why all of this is arranged uh, such that um, we remember that God is in a position to enlighten us and perfect us prior to us drawing near and entering his presence. But beyond putting the pieces together, when you read statements like this, God is confirming these very conclusions. Mm -hmm. During the day of the Shabbat, it should be prepared and laid out. Oh my God, is God violating the Shabbat? Didn't he say during the day of the Shabbat it should be prepared and laid out? Oh my God, aren't we supposed to restrict our steps and and not prepare anything? Not lay out anything? Oh, well, good for the Jews because it was supposed to be uh, prepared and lay out before the presence of Yahweh. And they've eliminated the presence of Yahweh from their religion. So this yeah, is something that is quite easy for them to do. Uh, with the children of Israel, doing so continually as an everlasting covenant or until some moron writes the Talmud. <laughs> Even frankincense fits this theme because its Hebrew names means to whiten. It is akin to being purified and cleansed. Further, we are told that the loaves of purified grain are to be laid out in an ordinary fashion, reminiscent of Yisrael progressing from Pesach through Sukkah. This would be a way to remember the role of the Ruach Kodesh, and particularly as she engages in enabling the promises of the Moed Mikre. Further enlightening or highlighting her role uh, as Zakharah, is the feminine of Zakar, and thus speaks of the female influence, which would be wise to remember. This is then used in conjunction with Isha, which is the feminine manifestation of God's fiery light. It is also relevant to note that God asked his representative to prepare and arrange all of this on the Shabbat. Therefore, the Shabbats of Sukkah, the Shabbat at the end of each week, is not a time to sit idle and do nothing, especially when we are about Yahweh's business. Personally, there are a few things that I enjoy more than coming to know how 
the words smallest strokes work in harmony with others to paint this grand canvas on life. And I'm sure that is true for all of those who are listening to this program as well. My hope is therefore that it is through the details that have been revealed throughout Yada Yawa. Many more to come as we do programs throughout the future. That the majesty of God's creation and his plan, the gifts that he is offering become better known to us. And it's all laid out before us. All for us to understand so that we can individually make the right decision about our relationship with Yahweh. It is why so much attention is devoted to each stroke, each word, each color, each image, and to the shading, and to the mm-hmm. details. What you just and therein, our presentation of Suka. Yes, Kirk, I interrupted you several times. I'm sorry no, I, about that. No, I beg your pardon. I, I, uh, we started off with, since for two or 3,000 years, this has basically been ignored. I mean, who has presented this in the last two or 3,000 years? I haven't found it. I had every theology book there was when I met you. <laughs> never found any of this stuff. I mean, yeah, that's one of the reasons why, I, as I went back through that um, chapter on the Chodor, it, it actually ends with uh, letters from eight to ten people. Uh, I, you and Dee uh, were two who wrote letters when when we were first dealing with the Chodor and trying to grapple with going from mm-hmm. the anonymity of Yada, which is how I wrote for uh, ten years, to being uh, a named contributor to God's story. I mean, that is, that is a tremendous transformation. It's all the difference between doing this just for the joy of learning and sharing mm-hmm. and doing yeah. this because, well, yeah. there's a lot writing on it that uh, God has specifically assigned a responsibility that he expects to fulfill and is throwing seven spirits at it to make sure that you complete the job because there is no opportunity <laughs> this time for a mulligan. And right. that being the case, and this guy being a duffer, God had to make certain that the job was going to be done correctly. And then you you look at it and, you know, I have wanted uh, to be dismissive of myself. Uh, the more that I could say that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, I was chosen by default, so that uh, there were no Jews who were willing to listen to God. And God makes that very clear. That's a statement of fact. Uh, for these past uh, 2,500 years, there were none. He looked and never found one. Uh, that I always said, okay, so I got the job by default. Uh, and while that's technically true, it's not true at all. And mm-hmm. while I've always wanted to dismiss uh, the role that I play, in fact, uh, initial volumes of Yada Yawa, uh, said, you know, I'm glad to tell you who I am, but I'm irrelevant to this story. Mm-hmm. That's not true either. No. No, it's um, God has a lot to say about what we're doing. And he says it so many different times that after a while you have to take notice. Uh, otherwise, there are hundreds of unfulfilled prophecies. Unless we right. are doing precisely what God called out and said 
that we would do. And when you compare his promises relative to the Bashar, the, the herald, the coal, the voice, uh, the Edah, the witness, uh, the Zoroah, one sowing the seeds that take root and grow, the Choder, the sucker growing out from the fallen stump and the secondary branch, uh, the Nacker and uh, Nakar, the observant foreigner, named Yada, which means to know. When you look at the, the insights, thousands of them, and many of them profoundly important, beginning with the proper pronunciation of Yahweh's name, Absolutely. Uh, an understanding of these seven Moed Mikra. Yahweh's timeline uh, presented for all to see the five conditions yeah. and five benefits of the covenant. Yeah. The answer to the number one complaint of agnostics uh, and secularists is why they wouldn't consider the word of God that who could want to, who would want to form a relationship with a God that would say, love me or I'm going to torture you in hell. Right. And we solved that conundrum based upon Yahweh's testimony, sharing that there are three destinations for human souls, and the only ones that endure Sheol are those who have deliberately misled or abused his people, that most souls simply cease to exist. There are thousands. Yeah of these unique insights into these books. And the notion that someone who was untrained in language, untrained uh, theologically, who at the end of a business career uh, would be able to be used in this way. The only person in human history that has written a irrefutable tome on condemning the entirety of the Quran, Muhammad's life and Allah, while doing the same thing for Paul in the Questioning Paul series, and doing the same thing against rabbinic Judaism in the Babel series. No one's ever done that. No one's ever done one of those things, much less all three. Right. And then on top of that, to present the entirety of God's story as it's played out over time. And the reason I'm sharing this is because after dealing with this now for the past seven or eight years, we've settled into the role. recognize this is what God wants. He said this for a reason. And the reason he said it is because he wants his people to listen. For 2,500 to 3,000 years, Yehudim have turned a deaf ear to Yahweh. And he wants that to change because he's coming back in 10 years, almost to the day, on Yom Kippurim and 6,000 Yah, which is sundown, in Jerusalem, 6.22 p.m., Sunday, October 2nd, 2033. And he wants a remnant of his people to be there to celebrate his return with his son. 
so that he can transform the earth and camp out with that remnant, now covenant, forevermore. And for that to occur, someone needs to convey this message, God's message, Dode's message. The purpose of the seven Moedim, the very symbolism of that menorah, the role the Son of God played in our salvation, the conditions of the covenant. Someone needs to convey that to Yehudim so that they listen and so mm-hmm. that there is a receptive audience when Yahweh returns with Doe just 10 years from now, particularly after enduring the time of Jacob's troubles. Yes. That's why I made the prophecies. And that's why we're announcing them. That's where I'm awfully glad that, uh, that unlike D, that I've had uh, broadband here on this island in the middle of the sea for this time that I have lived here. It doesn't do much of uh, anyone any good to be a witness on behalf of Yahweh. If the best you can do is to call out to the, uh, the dolphins swimming in the sea. <laughs> so we are grateful well, we for the you. covenant family and for being here. And that is the purpose of Yada Yahweh. And we hope that you, if you are Yisrael, if you are Yehudim, and you're listening to this program, that God's words will resonate with you. And that for those of you who are incensed that I would mock Judaism, then you're not going to like Yahweh very much. No. Because here, here. his review of Judaism is far harsher than my own. And while mm. God detests Christianity and detests Islam, as far as God's concerned, the greatest menace to his people has been Judaism. It has harmed and demeaned and controlled and fleeced and deprived more Jews than any other ism conceived by man. And it isn't until you as a Yehud or Yisraelite are willing to walk away from the babble of politicians and the intermixing of politics and religion that you even have the opportunity to get to know Yahweh and approach him. Right. Now, the very thing that Dode, the Messiah, the Zeroah, the sacrificial lamb, after fulfilling Pesach, took with him on matzah, was the guilt of his people from being religious and political for all of these years, obstinate against Yahweh. And he took that guilt with his soul into Sheol to deposit it in the one place where it can never be retrieved or seen again. And as a result, we become perfected and are able to be adopted into Yahweh's family so that he can enrich and empower us on Shabuah, enabling us to Teruah, which is what we do every day, heralding Father and Son's message to Yisrael encouraging them to come home at the family reunion of Yom Kippurim so that we can all celebrate 
an eternity of Sukha. Camping out with Yahweh. Mm. Well, folks, I don't know much more to say. I'm, I'm thrilled that we actually had two entire programs to devote to Sukha. I think we've shared more yeah, on cool. these two weeks about Sukha than at any time in our past. Yes, true. So I'm, I'm delighted true. to be able to uh, to do that. And and you know, it's it's it is a little strange uh, for me. Uh, and I don't know how it is for you, but you know, I live this. 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. My, you know, my life is consumed uh, in a very positive way by the Moed Mikre, by the Bereth, by Yahweh, by uh, Yehudem and Yisrael, uh, by the Torah. And, and so if every day is a celebration of camping out with God, if every day is about reconciling Yahweh's relationship with Israel. If every day is about being the herald of what the Son of God, Dode, has done. If you're using the enlightenment and the enrichment and the empowerment of Shabuah mm-hmm. you know, every waking moment to celebrate being part of God's family and communicating the means to being perfected by him, which um, I'm quite certain we're the first to accurately share um, since Dode proclaimed that he would volunteer to do this 3,000 years ago. Absolutely, we are. Um, that since all of these things are essential, and this is what we do every day, it's a little different. And, and I'm, I'm delighted that my wife has not said, well, you know, you're not uh, out here in a tent. You know? No, I'm, I'm not living in a, uh, in a tent, but I am camping out with Yahweh. Yeah, uh, it is. It's just uh, it is our life, and and I think as we move, uh, and all of us move from this to the cadence of sukkah over the thousand years between year six thousand and seven thousand yah, I suspect this is how we're all going to celebrate these seven moed. They're going to be literally integrated into our lives. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. I think you absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, every day is my favorite meal of the uh, the year, Pesach. <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, I, I every day is camping out with God. That's fun. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I do think that, uh, that this is how God intended, and and the, the other thing that I just want to close with is how important it is to understand the meaning behind each of these things. You know, in Judaism, they've, uh, what the rabbis have attempted to do is create this odd number of misvot, uh, which is really, uh, it's mitzvah, it speaks of the terms and conditions of the covenant, but they have changed it into commands. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they've taken this number of of misvot, and they've said that two-thirds of them are, can't be done anymore. They're negative miswats. And about a third of them can be done, and, and we're going to turn them into religious laws. I, and that's just dumb. Yeah. You know, <laughs> God is not saying you should go buy uh, the four species from a rabbi 
and get this wrinkly, stupid, etrog fruit from Babylon. Doesn't want you to twirl a chicken over your head. Doesn't want you to dress in a black morning suit. Doesn't want you to live in the 18th century. He doesn't want you to ignore and actually despise his name. Right. Wow. He wants you to understand his message. These words are like seeds. That's why I responded so strongly when I saw the basis of seed. His words are seeds which can take root and grow and, and produce new life and bear fruit and be productive in your mind and in the lives of others. Plant them, nurture them, cultivate them. Take the weeds away from them. Allow them to flourish and grow in the light. Understanding comes from them. They can all be analyzed. They can all be understood. You do not have to have a temple or a tabernacle to benefit from the metaphor associated with that menorah. Um, you know, if you want to see it more tangibly, go and view uh, Jackie's uh, animation mm -hmm. at the right. Yada site and see how the rotating menorah uh, is designated for each of the Moed Mikre, beginning with Pesach, and how it represents each of the colors of the rainbow, the symbol and sign of the covenant. Uh, as we go from the fiery light, which is the sign, another one of the signs of the Moed Mikre, where decaying organic material, which is representative of our physical bodies in this world, are transformed into light and energy by those warm and, and reddish and orange and yellow colors, such that we, uh, we grow as we enter the realm of Shamaim and the uh, colors at the end of that rainbow. So that's God's story. I'm delighted to be in a position to share it with you. Thank you, uh, uh, Kirk, for taking time from your uh, art show. Sounds like you've sold all <laughs> of your art uh, anyway. I am the proud no, owner good. of, uh, of, uh, of four pieces of, uh, of uh, art. Actually, I think I have five uh, uh, pieces of, uh, of, of art from, uh, from Kirk that are, are um, displayed uh, in prominent places in my, uh, my home. Uh, and I have uh, two from uh, Sylvia that we uh, treasure as well. Uh, so we, uh, we do enjoy your art. And boy, it does my heart uh, good, uh, Dee, to know that the woman responsible uh, working with my wife on our, on our social media outreach actually has internet connectivity this is uh, <laughs> thank you this is That's very much exciting. better this is very <laughs> exciting Imagine what even I can do in now. northern florida it's possible <laughs> all right so good night well, thank uh, you. one and all uh, happy uh, either seventh or eighth day of suka depending on the time that uh, you started i started on friday a week ago mm -hmm. so this is now the eighth day for me, but I know for many of you it's the uh, it's the seventh, and you'll uh, enjoy the eighth day of Sukkah uh, tomorrow. But may Yah bless you all. Uh, happy Sukkah and good night. Thank you.
Hey, y'all. Night, Kirk. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.